Is someone's air conditioning on? No, it's I'm January. Something. It's, it's my radiator. I'll turn the heat off. Oh, I don't <laughs> want you to freeze. It's okay. I'm wearing cashmere underwear. <laughs> Is that? I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Limbaugh. Welcome to 2022. I'm Clay Russell. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Brian Tuft. It's good to be back. Guys, It's it's been a while. Has it? I Yeah. Has it Six not months? felt like that for you? I don't know. Uh, Listeners, uh, Christine went through a bit of drama after episode six was uh, published, which is her house uh, went underwater for a bit. And by that, I mean, she didn't lose her. It wasn't foreclosed. It was physically underwater. Literally physically underwater. Yeah. Hurricane Ida, which like you either have already forgotten it happened or still suffering the effects of it. There's no in between. Um, And I'm in the latter camp. Um, so we had over five feet of water outside and three and a half feet inside in our basement and in our garage. And a lot of stuff got ruined, guys. Uh. Like that's, uh, you know, it's not clean water uh, because our, our runoff <laughs> goes into the same pipes as the sewer. So when it overflows, you know, it doesn't filter it for you. Well, I think you need to look on the bright side of this and think about Hmm. you've gotten a beautiful preview into what life will be like when climate change really kicks up. That's true. You're going to be the one to save us. Like, you're going to be the one there with, like, a coat made of squirrel pelts saving (laughs) us from the the roving hordes. Yeah. I've been working on my spear throwing as well. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, and I briefly got to have some waterfront property, so that was was cool. But, um... Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting there. Our insurance company said no, but, uh, you know. Ironically, my house did not flood, but my roof got damaged, and I got, like, a $10,000 check, and Christine's (laughs) house was truly destroyed. (laughs) She was running through the house with her cat and her husband, like fucking Rose and Jack, trying to flee the third-class quarters of the Titanic, and they were like, sorry, (laughs) that's your problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was mildly inconvenienced. I had to put a pot in my living room, and they were like, here's $10,000. We're so sorry. Christine, you get nothing. Uh, yeah, so that happened. That wasn't, like, my favorite thing that happened. But um, that's probably the biggest thing, I guess. God forbid something okay. bigger happened. I feel like we have, there have been so many Medal of Freedom recipients that have passed away in that time. Yes. So we, uh, we have Colin Powell. Yep. Um, oh, which we're all so sad about. <laughs> Was Betty White a recipient or no? No, I feel like she just got invited to hang out at the White House. Yeah, apparently there's been a flood of, um, Donations to, like, animal organizations in Betty White's name after she passed away, which I think is, like, just the best, most wholesome thing in the world. Absolutely. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, Who else? So Bob Dole passed away. uh, Yes, he did. Presidential uh, contender. 
I think we already addressed this in a previous one. Rumsfeld died like right after we profiled him, didn't he? Yes, and then your house flooded shortly after we published that episode. So coincidence? So, you know. Um, Karma came for everybody who started the Iraq War, Christine. We didn't forget that you were in the room. <laughs> oh, Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim passed away, that's right. What does it say about me that when you say Bob Dole, I don't think of the presidential campaign. I think of the fact that he starred in a Pepsi commercial with Britney Spears. Like, that's my point of reference for him. Oh, my God. The 90s were such a weird time. He's watching her perform on television. And I guess it's like alluding to the fact that he was a Viagra spokesperson. His dog, like, howls at the TV. And he, like, I'm pretty sure has, like, a, like... He's framed so that you can see his crotch, and he like turns to the bo- to the dog and goes, "Easy boy," and like Britney Spears is like nineteen in the commercial. Like it's it's truly the worst. <laughs> but the the, the jingle gross. she sings goes all the way off. Like I mean, <laughs> she did not have to go that hard. Uh, uh, Sydney Poitier passed away as well. One of the great American actors. Yeah, so that I think that's uh, that's the roundup. Hopefully, um, I mean, the good thing is I'm doing a profile of someone who's already dead, so I can't um, kill anyone with my with my recap. Right. Yes, so. we we do have that working for us. Okay. All right. Great. When we are back, Christine profiles Medal of Freedom recipient from 1992, Sam Walton, founder of Walmart. Stick around. quarter of the year we've entered the George H.W. George Herbert Walker Bush um, era of medal recipients and I picked one which um, I don't know I I, I it will get there but it's interesting because his the the things that happened during his lifetime like there's so okay it's Sam Walton the founder of Walmart um the things that he accomplished in his lifetime, because he died in 1992 versus like what Walmart has become, like that juxtaposition was very interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also just, I don't know, it's an interesting snapshot of, of kind of the billionaire um, ecosystem in America. So I thought I thought he would be an interesting, maybe kind of timely uh, person to talk about. Uh, so Samuel Moore Walton was born on March 29th, 1918 in a place called Kingfisher, Oklahoma, uh, which is interesting because, uh, at this point I feel like Walmart is associated with Arkansas because that's where the, um, that's where the original Walmart opened up, but he's originally a, an Oklahoma. And they're headquartered to this day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, growing up, like his father apparently really, this is interesting. This feels like this was probably a big teaching moment early in Sam Walton's life. His father uh, kind of realized that there wasn't a lot of money in farming, uh, which is what he originally did as a profession. So he started working for his brother. So this would be Sam Walton's uncle, his mortgage business, uh, which included foreclosing on farms during the Great Depression. 
So he was sort of like, oh, like it's it's not very lucrative to run a farm. What if I make money foreclosing on farms that shut down during the Great Depression? Wow. I know, right? Wow. Um, so, yeah, so little Sam just did a bunch of odd jobs. Um, he had a paper route. You know, he was the classic, like, like milked the family cow and drove, drove uh, little milk cartons around and stuff like that. He went to the University of Missouri. Uh, he was an ROTC cadet, and he served um, in the Army Intelligence Corps during World War II. And then after having left the military in 1945, he decided to open his first variety store, which actually maybe I should just step back. And so do you, are you guys familiar with like Five and Dime variety store, like what those were or are? Mm-hmm. It's like an old timey version of a dollar store. Like it's just like you can get pretty much anything for a really cheap price. And Five and Dime was originally like literally the things there would cost a nickel or a dime. Um, and more so importantly, th- they were mostly mom and pop stores. Weren't they though? Yeah. So what he decided was he was going to open his own store and this was not yet a Walmart technically because he was opening a franchise of a chain called Butler Brothers. So this was 1945 <laughs> and he was able to open the store from a $20,000 loan from his father. <laughs> A small loan from his father. And I looked it up. $20,000 in 1945 money would be about $309,000 in today's money. He also had his own um, $5,000 saved up from his military service, which is pretty normal. I Oh, sorry. That would be the equivalent of um, $77,000 in today's money. Sorry, wasn't the big thing with him the myth that he came from poverty when he started Walmart? That's yeah. a that's kind of a through line between uh you know, our our modern billionaires and and what he was is kind of a falsified past. Yep. So combined, he's got almost half a million dollars in of in 1945 money to start this shop. Um so originally, these little stores were kind of, like Clay alluded to, were kind of a shop local situation. Um, they were often in, in rural areas where it was like, hey, it, you know, you don't have to drive two hours or three hours to go to a store. We've got a store right here. And um, tell me if this reminds you of anyone else. <laughs> Uh, something that he focused on as he started to grow his business was one infrastructure. Um, so having like a, I'm probably not using the right term, but like a spoken wheel system where there'd be like the distribution center um, or the fulfillment center. And then the, the Walmarts would be within a certain distance from a distribution center to make things easier for them as well as and the exits prices. to highways. Right. I remember reading that, yeah. that they would research the distance from an exit to where their shops were. Uh Oh, sorry. And I should say um, it's a little convoluted and not worth like agonizing over every step of the way here. But basically, like the shop was really successful and then he got bought out of this chain, um, which then gave him enough seed money to start his own. um, The first true Walmart, which opened in on July 2nd, 1962 in Rogers, Arkansas. And it was originally called the Wall. Wall Dash Mart, 
Walmart discount city store. The infrastructure and low prices um, kind of reminds me of Jeff Bezos and Amazon. Um, 100%. Like it seemed, you know, it seemed like he kind of decades and decades before. And actually, that was something I wanted to um, mention is like, okay, so I remember when I was a kid, Sam Walton being the richest man in America. Um, and he was, I have some Forbes list stuff, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, but it was basic. So he died in 1992 and that was literally the first year that Bill Gates showed up on the billionaires list. Yeah. Um, He was the last brick and mortar richest man on earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So the eventual, and there's literally a book that was, that's been written called the Walmart effect. Like this sounds innocuous enough. Like, Oh, we're going to be in, in rural places that don't have a lot of um, like giant stores where you can go walk in and buy anything you want for a cheap price. Um, but it gradually had a completely devastating effect on actual local stores as Walmart grew and expanded and got bigger and bigger. And, you know, downtowns and actual mom and pop shops all had to close because they couldn't compete um, and there was a certain point where Walmarts were like, we'll beat any price. Um, so you could come in and be like, oh, well, so-and-so over there is charging a dollar for this, I don't know, whatever. And he'd be like, I'll charge 98 cents. Um, and so, Yeah, and that, that also goes down to the suppliers as well. If you are a business that sells goods yeah. and you cannot get your your goods into Walmart, you will be over. And that's how they would pressure to lower prices as well. Something that I read in my research is that Walmart uh, consistently for decades has been the top importer of goods from other countries uh, in terms of electronics and single-use goods. Walmart tops that list, and they're the ones that kind of push that trend toward divesting from American companies. Yeah. Yeah. And which is ironic because he originally had a commitment – And again, that's why I sort of want to say, like, let's talk about Sam and then we can sort of also think about what Walmart eventually became because his original thing was was to have American made products, uh, which didn't uh, obviously last. Um, So, yeah, I guess maybe we'll this is a good time to go over the Forbes list just to give you guys a um, and I mean, again, I we all know what Walmart ended up becoming. So over time, it just became ubiquitous and and too big to fail and and all the things that we mentioned like the supply chain um supremacy and the negotiating ability with these retailer I'm sorry with the um suppliers suppliers um they just kept growing and growing so he became very very wealthy um he okay so the, I caveat I know the Forbes thanks to people like Kylie Jenner and Donald Trump I think we're a little bit aware that the Forbes list is not totally a hundred percent accurate and some of it's speculation but that said it's still a good baseline for figuring out where people's wealth is um over time so two things one is to this day uh the Walton family he had several children all of whom are um they're now, I guess, late middle age or elderly, um, and he sort of split his uh, uh, estate evenly among them. So the Walton family to this day is the richest family in America. They have a combined um, net worth of $247 billion. Um, 
Uh, this is all from Forbes. So the Waltons are the richest family in America, thanks to their stake in Walmart. About half Walmart's stock is held by the seven heirs of founder Sam Walton and his brother James. Um, Rob Walton, I'm not sure who that is, one of his children. Yes, one of his children served as chairman for more than two decades and remains on the board alongside current chairman Greg Penner, his son-in-law. So we're now, I guess, reaching the third generation from Sam in terms of who's um, the head of the Walmart company. And then today's Forbes list, which, I mean, I think they update it pretty regularly, but what they're calling the current list, you have to, even though um, Sam Walton used to be at the top, you now have to scroll down to number 17 is Alice Walton. I believe she's his oldest child, so she has slightly more. She's $61.8 billion. Right below her is Jim, $60.2 billion. Right below him is Rob, uh, $59.5 billion. And I think there was at least one other um, Walton um, heir on that list. But it's, yeah, and as I mentioned before, um, I think it's... <laughs> It's interesting because on the one hand, there is that I loved that fact that the the year Sam Walton died was the year Bill Gates showed up on the on the list, which was sort of a precursor to these like tech billionaires. Because if you're wondering who the top, I mean, you guys probably know without even thinking who the top people are. It's Jeff Bezos, it's Elon Musk, Bill Gates, mm -hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, the Larrys, and Larry Bezos Ellison, essentially Gates. copied the Sam Walton model of yeah. dominating the supply chain a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I, I didn't have time, uh, to look this up. I don't know if he's ever like publicly talked about that. If he's like, oh, well, if it worked for Sam Walton, it can work for a, like an online store. Um, and I wanted to, okay. So we're going to do a little snapshot of, because before we get to sort of the conclusion, so 1985, this is a year when, um, and again, I remember growing up Sam Walton being the richest man in America. So the Washington Post did a profile on him, and the gist of the profile is like, well, gosh, look at Sam Walton driving his little clunker truck and being an ordinary American. Um, so it's sort of funny to read, knowing what we know about the astronomical wealth that he had and the generational wealth that he was going to be providing for his family. And I also thought this would be a good opportunity for Brian and Clay to do a um, a little voice acting. Um, I know we've done that on yeah, the Wikipedia. Yeah, we can't call it the Wikipedia face-off, can we? What, what are we going to call WAPO this? the face-off. So I don't know. <laughs> WAPO um, face-off. I like it. Clay. What if we edit his Wikipedia page and put this in there? This way it can be the Wikipedia <gasps> face-off. There we go. It. Before we publish. Good idea. Exactly. This yeah. guy. That's why we keep you around. So I would like Brian to do the first paragraph. Okay, are we ready? He donned a baby blue tuxedo, a waiter in high swoon at the prospect of serving canapes at the birthday party of the richest man in America. He imagined what surely awaited, a dynasty-style mansion, a Rolls Royce for every day of the week, poodles with diamond chokers, servants galore. Play. That's paragraph strong one. choice. That's that's you made some strong choices there. He I like that. Also pronounced canapes perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't shop at Walmart, so yeah, of course <laughs> I did. <laughs> <clears throat> mm. 
Then he was off to the house, wheeling past the sleepy town square in this remote Ozark metropolis of 9,920 human souls, where Sam Walton parlayed one of his piddling little dime stores into a $6 billion discount chain called Walmart. He rumbled down a country road, turned at a mailbox marked Sam and Helen Walton, and hopped out at a rustic ranch-style house in the woods. It was nice, but no Tara. The furniture appeared early Holiday Inn, even a little scuffed. An old pickup truck sat in the garage, and muddy bird dog romped about the yard. He never spied any servants. Oh, my God. Um... This is a tough one, but I think I have to give it to Clay. I I thought that Brian was fantastic, though. Like <laughs> I'm up I'm up here receiving this trophy, but believe me, I I think that I share this award with Brian. I know. I you guys, this article goes on and on and on, and the whole thing is written like this, and it's basically it's just like, folksy bullshit. He's just a down home billionaire, and I think it just to me, in addition to just being a snapshot, because it was 1985. Uh, Brian wasn't even born yet. And um, just like to think that in the decades since, like we still don't know how to talk about billionaires. Well, I think that, yeah, I look at the date that this was published, November 17th, 1985. And really no one understood what to make of it at the time. And meanwhile, while this article was being published, that was the start of setting up uh, inheritance tax structures. So you mm-hmm. had this this wealth carrying over from from generation to generation. Uh, you had this point of giving billionaires and and multi multi millionaires these tax breaks. And and also something to bring up is you look based on inflation at the minimum wage about this time and how it's basically stayed the same, the same. or even yep. gotten worse during those years. And yeah. another thing that I saw in the research is that the number one employer of people that have to apply for welfare in the United States is Walmart. So on top of actually receiving these tax breaks, they're also basically relying on the United States government to also fund their own workers because they won't pay them a living wage. And oh, that's yeah. an incredible thing to think about. And it's... Again, I'm not blaming Sam Walton for that. I think that Sam Walton was a visionary uh, businessman, but it all basically spiraled out of control into this monster that he that he created. And a lot of the harm was done well after he was gone. But still, it's something worth talking about of, of how much the government does prop up these people, both with tax breaks and also I think that it's cowardly that these lawmakers are are giving these tax breaks while also, you know, having to pay these workers welfare, like full time yeah. workers who are having to go on welfare because yeah. the wages are so low. Yeah. And I mean, even in paragraph two, if anyone wasn't too dazzled by Clay's accent to notice. So in 1985, it was six billion dollars. Like. <laughs> the idea that let me go back to the current Forbes list. Jeff Bezos at the top is 177 billion. 
Um, but what show- is Amazon actually valued? It's 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 many times that as well. Oh, yeah, and it's also like when you referred to Clay, like the brick and mortar thing with um, with Sam Walton, like. Elon Musk, to this day, I don't know where his money comes from because nothing he does actually works. And I don't, Mm -hmm. it's like, I just, what is this money? Like, does it even exist? I don't understand. Like, you also, you look at the output of Tesla, Tesla vehicles versus the output of GM vehicles, and GM just dwarfs Tesla in terms of what the output is, yet Tesla is worth many, many, many more times than GM is. It makes no sense. Well, yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw there was like a, um, trade show in vegas a couple weeks ago and it's uh vegas is like a a pilot project for the um his like hyper maybe not the hyperloop but for like these little tunnels you know yeah and, like it's i gonna think eliminate, it's the hyperloop yeah it's gonna eliminate traffic and burp, 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 burp. and it was like not even that big of a conference because a lot of people still aren't doing things in person and there were traffic jams in the tunnels because <laughs> it's like it's a tunnel with cars in it. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it seems like everything he does doesn't actually work and he doesn't actually make stuff. Um, anyway, but that's a sidebar, but it's just, it's interesting now when you look at who's at the top. And like I said, you have to go all the way down to 17 to get a Walton family member. Um, and you know, some of the guys with actual top, assets, I think that that's an important thing is they actually own assets compared yes. to the other people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I guess, Clay, that's a good segue into just the things I wanted to conclude. So um, Sam Walton passed away in March 1992. I'm sorry. He received the medal in March 1992, which was actually only one month before his death. If you look on his Wikipedia page, there's actually like an adorable Clay and Brian know this about me. I find old people really cute regardless of like what they've done in their lives. And it's HW with Sam Walton and they're both in like suits and wearing Walmart hats and they just look like the cutest couple of dorks. Um, so yeah, so it was not a posthumous award, but it (laughs) cut it pretty close. Um, and he passed away from, from cancer. Um, and so, yeah, the, we've already alluded to, or anyone who's heard of Walmart knows kind of like what Walmart's become in addition to the wage problems that Clay mentioned, um, I think it was, uh, again, Amazon being perhaps the most notable example, just sort of um, the Walmart model became influential in terms of like a race to the bottom in terms of pricing, um, the sort of cheap goods that Americans have now become very accustomed to. Um, that has been like pretty damaging both for the environment <laughs> You know, having so many disposable, you know, you buy like a crappy whatever um, and it falls apart and you're like, yeah, it's fine. I can just go to Walmart and get another one for $5. Um, And just, they also, there's not, I was not able to find, and granted I'm not like a journalist, so I wasn't, you know, going to the, the National Archives to look this up. I couldn't find like a reliable actual source on this but they're regularly referred to as the world's largest gun retailer um walmart Mm -hmm. and i don't i I, i'm willing to believe that's true actually just because of their ubiquity and um to be blunt like the places where walmart walmarts are you know the venn diagram of like rural americans and walmart locations probably pretty uh 
overlaps pretty well. And then, um, again, we've already kind of already gone over this, but the inherited generational wealth. Um, and it's interesting because some of these newer billionaires, um, I don't know if they're going to follow through on it, but like, I think Mark Zuckerberg has said he doesn't plan to just give his whole estate to his children or one, ch- I don't know how many children he has at this point. And I don't know if XE3A asterisk <laughs> is going to get any of Elon Musk's um, money and Bill Gates and his ex-wife Linda, you know, they're trying to, uh, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say it's a big change, but it's interesting to me that we do have some new billionaires who are at least pretending that they're going to buck this, uh, like I trend, not trend, but like giving, yeah, all let's your see if they follow them. through on that. Exactly. Right. And it's, you know, like if you go out, like I know this this is an American history podcast. Um, We talk about the history of the country a lot. Like one of the founding principles of the United States was like, we don't have gentry. We don't have lords and ladies and we don't have, you know, there's no Earl of whatever. Um, Earl of Arkansas. Exactly. And part of that was like, because it just creates this, this class, this like bubble of, you know, and they have like in Britain, the house of Lords and the house of commons, because it was like, wait, why are the Lords making all the decisions? We should have regular people involved in the government. And, um, yeah, I, I think the wall, and I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's, it's interesting to me that he could split his, his massive fortune, um, among his children and they're still, I mean, number 17 on the list is like nothing to sneeze at, you know? I mean, it's, it's pretty far down from number one, but, um, this family and, and reading that his, I guess, Sam Walton's grandson-in-law is the current chairman of Walmart. It it doesn't seem like anytime soon they're going to, you know, yield this, this estate to anybody else. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, in terms of saying whether, I certainly wouldn't say Sam Walton is a is a Limbaugh per se. Um, I don't know if there's too much I can specifically say he did that was like shitty, but he also, I mean, he did create this. And like I said, from his childhood, watching his father switch from farming to foreclosing on farms, um, the, you know, there is a little bit of a kind of mercenary um quality to the the Walton family kind of ethos that he's certainly responsible for but um but at the same time I, I was surprised how sort of ordinary his story really was um and again him dying in 1992 he kind of missed yeah. some of the last 30 years of stuff I see a through line between Sam Walton and the tech billionaires. And what I mean by that is that he came about in the exact right time to create something that was too big to fail with the tech billionaires. They came about obviously at the advent of the internet and being able to monetize that very quickly when you don't have to actually build infrastructure, you can grow incredibly Mm -hmm. fast with Walmart, he came about when the United States started to sour on lay on labor unions, essentially. And yeah, yeah, you look at that era of from the 80s to the 90s, when he did have that largest growth in the company. And that was when he was able to get very cheap labor. 
people didn't really understand or what to make of billionaires in the 80s and 90s and why you have these glowing articles like the Washington Post had at that time. You know, uh, they were being given medals of freedom and all of that, but they were there at the exact right time because there is no way that Walmart would have been able to expand at the speed and the size that they did if you did have labor unions out there to actually control wages and things like that. So, yeah, there's definitely, even though that they seem like they're from two completely different times, I do see a through line between Amazon and Walmart. Yeah, I hear you. So that's that's Sam Walton, guys. Yeah. Any so who thoughts? we we touched on it and we've obviously been dancing around it the entire time. Who would Sam Walton be today? And I, it has to be Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Unless Brian has another idea. I see he's got his thinking hat on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's like anyone in the retail space who mm. would be able to compare. And yeah, I mean, it's probably Jeff Bezos. Which, who is my least favorite billionaire because he's the hardest billionaire to hate because Amazon is just so convenient. Like someone who doesn't drive, I it's easy for me to overlook Elon Musk. As somebody who doesn't shop at Walmart, the Waltons right off my back. But Amazon, like I hate Jeff Bezos. I don't think that that's a hot take by any means. But today I opened three Amazon packages. <laughs> So yeah. I'm really like I'm not, I'm not that's part of the I'm not showing yeah. my hatred in a constructive way. And mm-hmm. in the 1980s, if you lived in the suburbs of Iowa or Arkansas or wherever and you needed to get a gallon of milk at 11 o'clock at night along with a pack of tube socks, there was only one game in town for that. And it was Walmart. If you ever suggest that I would live in Arkansas, this podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> Guys, Brian just hung up on us. <laughs> no offense to my uncle Craig, who actually lives in Arkansas. Hi, Uncle Craig. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, just one fun fact before we move on to the uh, medals of the week. I know from knowing some people who've like driven cross country and tried to do it on the cheap or like in a van or whatever. And Walmart's parking lots are apparently a great place to park overnight. Because they're kind of like laissez-faire about it. A lot of them are open 24 hours and you can like use the bathroom and yeah, like get some granola bars and stuff. So if you ever start to like hashtag van life, um, you can always spend the night in a Walmart parking lot. It's the least they could do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All All right. right. Very good profile. I enjoyed it. It was it was interesting too. It was uh, a very yeah. ambiguous choice. Like you you can't love him, but you also can't hate him. But he's exactly. also very modern in a way if you think about it. So well done for someone that was born in 1918. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. When we come back, the medals of the week. Okay, so uh, now we are going to move on to the Medals of the Week uh, a segment where we kind of discuss if we were president of the United States right now, uh, whose behavior over the last week, or in this case, between episodes six months, uh, <laughs> would qualify them for a Medal of Freedom. Um, before we get into our medals, um, I feel like it's 2021 um, or 2022 now. Um, it? And it's just been like a thing where 
I feel like we've had so many big people die. And uh, late last night, um, Andre Leontali, uh, who was the uh, international editor at large and a very well-known fashion journalist, uh, passed away at like 73. And mm-hmm. I just felt that we should, you know, mention him. Um, he was a real trailblazer, an icon, a very distinct voice. And um, if the stuff about Walmart and labor unions didn't do it for you, I want to point out that it took about 17 hours for Vogue magazine to put out a statement after Andre Leontali died. So if you ever think... I'm very important at work. I'm irreplaceable. We're we're a family. I love my job. Just remember that Andre Leontali was truly a giant in media, somebody who crossed all sorts of boundaries and thresholds and setbacks and limitations, going from a person who grew up in segregation in the South to one of the most famous men in fashion media. And it took almost a full day for Vogue magazine to even put something on their homepage about him. So quit your job. Fuck off, do whatever you want to do. That's what I feel like Andre Leon Talley should have done. So there's my little anti-capitalist rant. Um, yeah. Clay, who is your medal going to? Actually, before before we do that, Brian, you met him a couple of times. Is that right? Do you do you have any fun stories about that with your interactions with him? Uh, so he is just as kind of loud, or was just as loud, and outrageous as you would see on television and in his uh, work. Um, I would say probably like the loudest person I've ever met. And he was a big guy. He was six foot six, correct? Yeah. The I posted a photo of the two of us on Instagram and somebody reached out to me and was like, I can't believe that you look small in this photo. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm six one, like over 200 pounds. And I literally look like, like a, a child. Like you a look child. like a little kid. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I once, um, attended the first time that I had ever seen him in person, um, a Q and a for a documentary about the designer Roy Halston and he moderated it and Sarah Jessica Parker was there and it was like very, very cool. And at the end of it, um, I'd gotten there late. So I had like a shitty seat for the movie, but a great seat for the Q and a, I was very up close and I had approached him and I told him that I was a big fan of his work and he had encouraged me to apply for an internship at Vogue that I, of course, did not get. Um, but it was just, it was very cool how he was very interested in fostering another generation of people who are going to work in in journalism, in fashion, in, you know, that sphere. Um, and I feel like all of the tributes that I've read from people like me who, you know, really don't have a large profile and even people who were who are massive successes all say that he really was very um, good at kind of fostering uh, up and coming talent and up and coming writers and uh, he truly a big, big loss for everyone. It's great. Well, shame on Anna Winter for uh, for taking that long to, to publish something about him. Uh, it really is like it. And I feel like the idea that there was like a big story in 2021 about um, like the way that he was kind of let go from Vogue and like he was having a hard time like keeping the house that he was living in. Like there's just been like a thing where um, he obviously loved the magazine and loved fashion so much. And the idea that the magazine and uh, seemingly some titans in the fashion world did not reciprocate that is very, very sad. Hmm. Um, I won't go on the record to say anything bad about Anna Wintour because I know she's very powerful. 
and I don't want her to get me, especially because um, Christine already mentioned uh, Kylie Jenner and Donald Trump in the same breath. And I swear <laughs> to God, I felt Chris Jenner file a lawsuit in Calabasas. The courthouse is still open there. She was clacking down the hallway to, to file a cease and desist against this podcast. So I'm not going after Anna. Yeah, as soon as we stop recording, we're each going to get a knock on the door. She's just going to get a, a phone call. Hey, doll, it's Chris. What'd you say? <laughs> By the way, but, big fan of the show. <laughs> um, we, you know, but Clay, who are you going to award your medal to? President uh, mine, mine slides on ridiculous, which is, is out of place after Brian's, uh, great tribute. Uh, mine is, we obviously talked about this guy a whole lot. He's a, a huge presence on the show. Uh, of course I'm talking about Magawa, the Cambodian bomb sniffing rat, uh, just a, a true hero. Uh, if you look up photos of Magawa, he has uh, his own little self-built harness that he has when he sniffs out bombs. Uh, great thing that I learned through reading this article five minutes ago is that rats are tiny enough where when they actually stand yes. on top of the bombs, they uh, do not explode, which is both terrifying and adorable at the same time. Uh, he actually received, uh, in 2020, uh, Britain awarded him the highest animal honor, which was Aww. the gold medal from uh, the UK charity PDSA, and they released a little statement mourning his death. So, uh, RIP to Magawa, and uh, I'm sorry, but I also just wanted to say uh, I wanted to give a limbaugh this week, if you'll permit me that. Uh, I am going to drop this into the chat right now, uh, just so you guys can see this. Um, there are some madmen out there who I think deserve to be called out. Uh, they are at the university. Uh, the university is called Ben Gurion. And oh what they God. have done is these crazy assholes... <laughs> have designed a goldfish tank and put some wheels to it and have taught goldfish how to drive. To drive. How to drive, and I am not for that. I do not want to see, after all the danger, I'm scared of being on the road most of the times, I don't want to look to my right and see that a goldfish is driving down the street. And I think that that's really sad and ridiculous. So I just wanted to call that out. Shame on those university students for making the roads even more dangerous by teaching goldfish how to drive with their adorable tiny goldfish tank cars. Oh, my God. And you thought the big problem was going to be getting run over by one of Elon Musk's very quiet cars. And it might be that you get run over by a fish. By a goldfish. I don't want that. None of us want that. Christine, who's your pick? <laughs> All right. Unlike these clowns, I picked like a serious one because I just felt like credit where credit's due here. Um, so Cardi B. I'm not going to say her real name because I will mispronounce it and feel bad about that. But um, everyone knows who, knows who Cardi B is. Um, so Car this is from the Associated Press. Cardi B has offered to pay burial costs for all 17 people killed in a fire that ripped through New York City high-rise. So Cardi B uh, grew up in the Bronx. Um, many of the victims had ties to Ga Gambia, and families of several victims planned to bury them in, the, in their West African homeland. Cardi B committed to paying repatriation expenses for the victims who will be buried in Gambia. So this is coming from the mayor's office. 
um, which I think is pretty cool. She didn't just like pat herself on the back on Instagram or something. She like worked with the mayor and um, she did put out a statement. Um, I'm extremely proud to be from the Bronx. I have lots of family and friends who live and work there still. When I heard about the fire and all the victims, I knew I had to do something to help. Cannot begin to imagine the pain and anguish the families are experiencing, but I hope not having to worry about the costs associated with burying their loved ones will help them as they move forward and heal. And it's like, look, Cardi is a a mixed bag as a public figure. Um, I think sometimes she just like doesn't have a filter, and so that's something that's admirable about her, but also gets her into hot water sometimes. Um, and I just thought this is like unambiguously such an awesome thing for her to do. Um both for like the individual people that she's helping and also just as a, I mean, it's always just so meaningful when someone who comes from a underprivileged area and like has a tremendous amount of success, um, keeps that community like in their, in their heart. So I thought this was awesome. So I would totally give the award to Cardi B. Well-deserved. Very much so. Yeah. But, you know, I, she's also, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't have a punchline. Just cut that out, Clay. Because <laughs> I was like, no, I'm I mean, not going to. I think that's good, Christine, because you've had a rough couple of months. And, and yeah, it's good to, to point out people that, that reach out and help out other people that they won't, don't even necessarily know, but they connect no, with them yeah. through the city. So, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Guys, it was great to be back. We did it. Let's let's keep this shit up. I know. We'll see you in July. Something yeah. good, good, good. No, we'll do a we special are not doing that at the beach. Okay, follow us on Bye, Twitter guys. at Limbaugh Podcast. Bye. See you next time. Bye. See ya. Uh-huh.